Well, let me welcome you here to Big Valley Grace. Welcome over in the venue. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, let me just uh, say I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're uh, watching online or listening on the radio. I don't care how you're listening, just glad you're here. If you uh, have your Bible, and hopefully you do, I want you to turn to John chapter 2. Okay, John chapter 2. And uh, if you don't own a hard copy, you know, you, you got one or two or three on your smartphone, but you don't own a copy of the Bible, okay? Just go into the altar room when we're done, go into the altar room over in the venue, or come down here if you're watching online on Monday or Tuesday, and we'll give you one for free. We just want you to have the scriptures in your hand so that you can read it on your own. And when you come to church or you come to like a Bible study, a men's group, women's group, maybe it's your home group, you should always take this. That way you can write some stuff in it. It's hard to do that in a smartphone. And it could be that something's said in your small group or at your table and men, women, maybe here. And you can write some notes down and remember maybe how uh, the sermon or whatever impacted um, your, your life, okay? But if you don't have a Bible today, all the verses come up on the Jumbotron. I think most of them are probably in your, your note sheets and all that. And I want to begin by doing a quick review of uh, chapter one. Over the last uh, three weeks, we've looked at three major things in chapter one, or maybe three important stories in chapter one. And the first one was this. We looked at the fact that Jesus was God. Look at... Uh, uh, or John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. In fact, without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then verse 14 kind of ties it all together. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The very first thing John says in his gospel, right out of the gate, the leadoff hitter, John wants us all to understand who Jesus was. He wasn't just some ordinary man, but he was God in human form. And we read about that moment when God became a man in Luke chapter two, where it says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all the people, which includes you, 2,000 years later, you're, you're, you're a part of this group, all the people. And what is this good news? Today in the town of David, today in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And we celebrate that day when the Word became flesh in December, right? It's, it's, it's Christmas. John says this in John chapter 20, he says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones that are recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life by the power of his name. So John tells us, here's why I'm writing my gospel. Here's why I'm writing the gospel of John. Jesus did a lot of things that we haven't recorded in, in here. Jesus said a lot of things that I haven't recorded in here. But the things that I'm recording, the things that I'm writing down, I'm writing down for a purpose. And that purpose is that you would understand who Jesus was. That he was the son of God and that by putting your trust in him, by putting your, your faith in him, by making him the CEO of your life, by making his will your will, you would have eternal life. That, that's why John wrote his gospel. And so it makes sense that right out of the gate, right, the leadoff hitter would be, hey, I want you to know who Jesus is. He's not just some guy. He just wasn't a good teacher or a great guy or some prophet. Oh, no. He was actually God. And that was the first thing that we looked at. 
The second story we looked at was, was this. It was uh, the story of John the Baptist. In John chapter one, John goes on to say that God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light, to tell about Jesus, so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Now John, not, not, not the writer of the gospel, John the Baptist himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell people about the light. And so, leadoff hitter, Jesus is God. Second up, God sends the very first per person who was gonna point people to Jesus, John the Baptist. Jesus said that there was no greater person born of a woman than John the Baptist. And John's role was he was a voice for God. He was the very first voice that would point people to Jesus, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And the third story we looked at was the story of Jesus choosing his first disciples. And you find that in John chapter one, verses 35 through 51. And Pastor Joel did a great job unpacking this last week, right? These men that Jesus selected were the men that literally changed the world. You and I are Christians today. We're, we're followers of Christ today because of what took place in John chapter one, the last part of John chapter one. And so the leadoff hitter, Jesus is God. Number two, that's the, the Messiah, John the Baptist. And then you have this moment where Jesus selects his disciples, the very ones who would go out to the ends of the earth, so to speak, and tell people about the, the Lord. Now, as we get to chapter two, we're gonna look at Jesus's first miracle. It's the miracle of taking some water and turning it into wine. And here's what Chuck Swindoll said about this moment. He said, quote, the world's finest wine was not made in the vineyards of France, nor was it served in the finest international restaurant. It was made and served at an unpretentious wedding in Cana of Galilee 2,000 years ago. That wine is valued to this day, not for its rarity, but for what it reveals about its maker, Jesus Christ. And so let's read the, the story, okay? John chapter two, look at verse one. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each of these stone water pots could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servant followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everybody has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until last. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And we'll stop right there. Now today, all I'm gonna do is make a few observations about this story, this little vignette of the life of Jesus. It's pretty straightforward. You, you got a half a cell working, you, you, you get it. You get the story. 
In fact, what's interesting is, is that there's, uh, uh, you know, most of the great scholars out there don't write much about this story because it's pretty straightforward. All I can do is, is goof it up. Uh, but I do want to make just a couple of observations about it, okay? They're, they're, they're pretty much no-brainers. They're pretty obvious. And uh, it's my hope, it's my prayer that somehow the Holy Spirit would use these thoughts maybe to impact your, your life in some way. And then I'll pray, and then we'll go out and fellowship and hang out, have lunch, do whatever it is that's next on our agendas, okay? The first thing I want to point out is this, is that Jesus was invited to a wedding. Look at verse 1. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to this celebration. Jesus was invited to a wedding. Obviously, the bride and groom, or the bride or the groom, knew Mary, Jesus' mother, knew Jesus, and knew the disciples. And they actually got an invite to this celebration. They got invited to it. Not, not, not everybody in town got invited to this thing, but those guys did. Mary did. They wanted Jesus at their wedding. They were close enough to Jesus that they wanted Jesus to be a part of their wedding. They wanted Jesus to be a part of this great celebration. And now, now here's a thought, okay? Some of you might be planning a wedding right now, or you will be in the future, or you hope to in the future. Not everybody who's single is supposed to get married. I think God sometimes supernaturally gifts some people and they're never to get married, but most of you who are single, you're gonna get married. And let me, um, let me just encourage you to do what this bride and groom did. Invite Jesus to the wedding. Amen. He's gonna be there anyway. <laughs> And, and I literally mean when you sit down with your, you know, future husband or future wife, when you sit down and you begin to make out the, the list of who's going to be invited, literally put, put Jesus' name down. Because I think if you see his name, it'll impact this holy moment. This sacred moment when God brings a man and a woman together, they make vows to each other, they enter into this, this uh, covenantial relationship. There really is nothing like a wedding. It, it really is one of the sacred moments of life, meaning it's set apart. There, there's nothing else quite like it. It's a holy moment. When a man and a woman become one, and if you know Christ as your Savior, look, Jesus was invited to the wedding. Make sure you invite him to your wedding. I have um, been to a number of weddings where uh, I was just in the audience and Jesus was nowhere near the thing. It was anything but holy. It was anything but, you know, sacred. And then when the ceremony was over, you, you, you get to the other thing, you know, the party afterwards, and, and in a lot of cases, it can remind you a little bit of <laughs> things I used to go to before I knew the Lord. And I'm not saying you can't have fun. I'm not saying you can't have a good time and all that. I'm not saying that. But one of the first things that's just obvious is that Jesus was invited to a wedding. And if you know Christ as your Savior, he ought to be invited. He, he ought to be a part of it. He ought to be a part of the thinking that goes into it. And how he's going to be lifted up. And, you know, how is he going to be shared? How, how does he have a special place in this in this ceremony. Maybe you're a parent 
And, you know, you, you got to whip out the card to pay for the whole thing. Before you slide the card, make sure you sit down with the kids and say, hey, look, I'm paying for this thing, but I just want to make sure Jesus is invited. Amen. I want to make sure he's going to be there. Maybe you're a grandma or a grandpa, and you're going to help out your grandkids in a wedding. Hey, hey, just want to know, has, has Jesus been invited to this thing? Is he a part of it? Is he going to be there? You thinking about him in all of this? I don't, because we have Saturday night gatherings, I don't do a whole lot of weddings, but here's the deal. You know, when I do them or have done them, you know, you always have this young couple sitting in your office and they're just all googie-eyed and <laughs> they're in love. <laughs> Remember those days, guys? Anyway. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just in love. Just love, 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 love. Hey, hey. Mom, dad, your kids need you to make sure Jesus is there because they're just in love. They're just whatever, man. Whatever. Help, let, let, let's all work together as a church family when our kids get married and all that stuff to make sure that Jesus is a part of the thing. So the first obvious thing that I want you to notice is, is just the fact that Jesus was invited, okay? Now the second one kind of goes hand in hand with the first, and that is Jesus actually went to the wedding with his disciples. He actually went to this party. He actually went to this celebration. Just think that through for a moment. I mean, here's this huge party, this huge celebration. Jewish weddings are way different than our weddings. First you have the wedding ceremony, which would start in the morning. Then at night after the ceremony, they would have this tremendous torch processional to the bride's parents' home where people would make speeches, you know, about the couples. It's kind of like when we give toasts in our Western weddings. Then after that was done, the procession would move on to the groom's home where things really picked up. In a Western wedding, the, the, the bride is the, the focus. In Eastern weddings, for the most part, the groom is the focus. And in our Western weddings, you know, everybody's sitting out there and the groom just kind of slithers in. <laughs> you know, woe is me. No one does anything, but then, man, when the gal walks in, you know, wow, she got a different dress on, and people stand, and the music takes off, and whoa, everything happens, you know, right, at, at that moment. Not the case in an Eastern wedding. In an Eastern wedding, once everything was done at the bride's house, which was usually one day, then it all moved to the groom's house, and that's where the party really began. In fact, the party would go on for days. In some cases, an entire week. Which is why Jesus made so much wine. Because <laughs> this, this wasn't like a Western uh, reception that might be two hours long and then you got to get out of the hall. This thing was going to go on for days and days and days and days. This wedding would have been the, the largest social event in the community that week. And Jesus was there. Jesus was invited to this party. Now, I don't want you to miss this, okay? The Gospel of John starts out with John telling us that Jesus was God. Then it moves on to tell us about John the Baptist, the very first person who pointed people to God pointed people to Jesus, that he was the Savior. And then it moves to the selecting of the very first disciples, the men that would turn the world upside down for Jesus. And then the very first thing Jesus does with these guys is he takes them into a classroom and does discipleship 100 on them. He takes them to the follow class. Isn't it interesting? He takes him to a party. He takes him to a festival. He takes him to this great celebration. 
that was going to go on and on and on. Jesus could have done anything he wanted to with these brand new disciples. I'm sure they were going, wow, you know, we're one of Jesus' disciples. You know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, and he says, hey, we're going to that, we're going to that wedding. Yes. You know, all right. We got ourselves a cool rabbi, you know. I mean, we, this guy's all right. Now, I want you to understand something. The, 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 the wine wasn't like wine we have today. It certainly had alcohol in it but not like we have today. So don't think that this was some, you know, drunken party thing. It wasn't. But it was a party nonetheless. It was a celebration nonetheless. And I know for some of you, this really bothers you. You think, hey, we don't have time for parties, man. We as Christians, man, we can't go out and have a fun. We, we, we don't have time to gather with people and celebrate. Come on, people are dying and going to hell, right? We don't have time to go out and enjoy this life that God has, has given us. How, how could Jesus, you know, do that? I don't know. I just know we're called to be imitators of, of him or to be like him. And there's no doubt about it. When you read through this, you see these very serious moments and we're going to get there. But I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus was invited to a wedding and he goes to a wedding. And it wasn't, you know, I, I couldn't make it through an Eastern wedding. You know, I go to a wedding, and, you know, at nine o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed. You know, I'm out, <laughs> I'm out cold, man. Not an Eastern wedding. Man, you'd, you'd go to bed, but then you'd wake up, make it back down to the bridegroom's home, and you'd eat more, and you hang out, and have fun, and there was just this unbelievable celebration that would go on for a long, long time. So this is the second obvious thing that I, I wanted you to notice. The, the third one is this, that Mary asked Jesus for help. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. And then you get to verse 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. And by the way, if you ran out of wine or you ran out of food back in biblical days, you could literally be arrested. I'm not kidding. This was a big deal. And you'd have family members coming from all over, and if all of a sudden the cheese plate was out, <laughs> you were in trouble. It was a big deal, I'm not kidding. Mary knew this was a big deal. And so what does it say? So Jesus' mother told him, hey, they have no more wine. In other words, Mary asked for help. Now, I don't think Mary was asking Jesus to do a miracle here. She just knew that Jesus could help this family out of the jam they were in. I mean, she knew there weren't any stores open where she could, you know, run out and buy some two-buck chuck or whatever. It's night. And there's a real problem. These people that we know these people who are friends of ours, these people who have invited us to this wedding, they got a situation. They're out of wine. So Mary simply asked the one person she knows can help, and that's Jesus. Jesus, could you do something here? Jesus, could you, could, could you take care of this problem? This reminds me of another story in the Bible that's uh, real similar. In Matthew or uh, Mark chapter six, it says this, the apostles returned to uh, Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, hey, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't have any time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could just be alone. 
But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw this huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a remote place, boss, and it's already getting late, so let's send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. There's probably 10,000 people there. But Jesus said, you feed them. What are you talking about? There's no mountain mics, man. We can't get pizzas delivered. What are you talking about? There's 10,000 people here. With what? They asked. Who would have to work for a month to earn enough money to buy the food for all these people? Immediately. These guys go into a panic. Look, Jesus isn't a dumb guy. He knows they can't feed the people. He's very much aware of the fact these guys don't have anything. But he says, hey, see these 10,000 people? Yeah, you guys feed them. Ah, what are you talking about? We don't got the dough. We don't, we don't got, you know, the, the, the wherewithal to take care of it. Now, let me tell you what would have happened if Mary would have been there. Mary would have gone, Jesus, can you help us out with this? That's all Jesus wanted these guys to do. All the guys had to do was go, Jesus, this is beyond us, but you can take care of it. And I think Jesus would have gone, you're getting it, boys. You're getting it. You're right. I can help. Thanks for asking me. Watch what I can do. And when I think about this moment where Mary asked Jesus for help, look, here's the deal. Some of you, you're going through stuff, right? I don't know, maybe your marriage isn't doing very well. You ever stop just to ask Jesus for help? I know you've talked to your girlfriends. I know you've talked to all of your buddies. I know you've called your therapist. I, I know you've done all that, but have you ever just stopped and said, oh God, help me. I don't know what to do. My husband just isn't in a good place. My, my wife's not in a good place. Help me. Help me, God. Maybe you got a teenager that's gone sideways. Have you ever just stopped and said, God, would you help me? I don't know what's going on with my teenager. Maybe you're a teenager and your, your dad's gone sideways. God, can you help me? Something's wrong with my dad. Give me a hand, God. I need some help. Maybe they found a lump where there's not supposed to be a lump and you're scared and you're nervous and you're anxious. God, can you help me? I'm nervous. My family's nervous. We're all kind of spun out over this. Maybe you have a business and, and, and you're wondering, man, am I going to be able to make my payroll this month? You, you, you need to close a big deal, right? And you're nervous about it. Have you ever just stopped and gone to the Lord and said, Lord, can you help me with this? I, I need some help. Let Mary be an example to you. She knew exactly what to do. There was a problem. She didn't panic. She didn't try to figure it out on her own. She simply turned to the one person she knew could help. Could it meet the need? And that was Jesus. Now let me give you a bonus thought as it relates to Mary, okay? This was a, a, a great moment for, for Mary. A great moment. I want you to think about this. Jesus was about 30 years old when he revealed his glory for the first time. He does this miracle. He's about 30 years old. Okay? So think about Mary for a moment. It was 30 years ago that an angel tells her, 
you're going to have a baby, God's baby, 30 years ago. 30 years ago gone by. She's, she's watched her son grow up for 30 years and he's never revealed his glory. Oh, I'm sure they could notice something special about him. It was 30 years ago that Mary had to look at her, at her fiance, Joseph, and say, hey, listen, I'm pregnant with God's baby. And that didn't go too well at first. He didn't believe her. And none of you would have either. 30 years ago. It was 30 years ago that Mary had to go to her mom and dad and tell them what was going on. Hey, listen, I'm pregnant and I, I, it's with God's baby. 30 years ago, she had to tell her friends all of that. 30 years ago, I don't know, when she's four or five months pregnant, she was now showing people in the town were going, whoa, 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 whoa. Her and Joseph have had some premarital sex. No, they haven't. She says she's having God's baby. <laughs> It's a, wow, that's, that's a good one. 30 years have gone by, beloved, and he's never done anything to demonstrate who he was. For 30 years, Jesus is pretty much a normal kid. I think the town was filled with people who probably thought, you know what, that was 30 years ago. If her and Joseph had sex before they were actually married, you know what, it's over with now. 30 years. 30 years people looked at her walk down the street. 30 years the religious leaders made comments about her. 30 years. She, she knew who Jesus was. She knew that 30 years ago she had never had sex with a, with a man. She knew. But nobody else did other than Joseph. 30 years. Now after 30 years, Jesus finally does something that proves that she wasn't nuts or lying or whatever when she told everybody that God came upon her and that Jesus was the Son of God. I have to believe at this moment when she looked and said, Jesus, you could help out here. You could do something. But somehow, I don't know, she looked in his face. She knew something was up because she tells the servants, hey, listen, if my son tells you to do something, just do it. And there comes this moment where Jesus says, hey, I want you to fill up those water containers with water. 30 years have gone by. She knows something's going down. I think her heart was just, whoa, 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 whoa. I think when Jesus said, hey, dip that little ladle in there and take it to the, the, the master of ceremonies. I think she must have walked over and looked at that and saw that it was red or whatever. And she followed him over to the head waiter and he took a taste and she knew. This is it. 30 years have gone by. And he's never done anything to reveal his glory. And this was it. I'll bet there were people at that wedding who went, maybe, maybe Mary wasn't lying after all. Maybe there were people at that wedding who had to go, man, I got to repent of my, all the things I said about her all these years. Jesus just did something that nobody could do. By the way, have you ever stopped just to think about Mary? Mary gave birth to Jesus, the Son of God. Mary actually held the Son of God in her hands and Jesus fed at her breasts. 
Mary actually changed the diapers of the Son of God. Mary actually taught Jesus how to walk. Mary actually taught Jesus how to talk. Mary was there when Jesus did his first miracle. Mary was there throughout Jesus' entire ministry. Mary was there when Jesus was hanging on that cross. Mary was there when Jesus walked out of that tomb. Mary was there when the church was birthed. And by the way, Mary had other children that were champions for Christ, if I could use that term. Matthew chapter 13 says this, he, that's Jesus, returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogues, everyone was amazed and says, where does, where does he, he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just the carpenter's son. See, 30 years. He's just Joseph's son. Now those guys had sex before they were ever married. They didn't believe Mary's story. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Some of you may not have realized that Jesus had a number of half-brothers and half-sisters. You see, Jesus was her first child conceived by the Holy Spirit. But then her and Joseph get married, and then they had a number of children the old-fashioned way. And don't let anybody or any denomination tell you differently. We just read it in the scriptures. Mary gave birth to James, it says, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and at least two half-sisters that we know of. Now, most scholars believe that Judas, and Judas was a common name, that wasn't Judas Iscariot, it's like John the Baptist and the guy that wrote the Gospel of John. Judas was kind of a common name. And one of her children was, was, was Judas. And most scholars believe that Judas, who was Mary's son, wrote the book of Jude. Mary's other son, James, Jesus' half-brother, wrote the book of James. Th th this woman's got a pretty good track record, wouldn't you say? Her, her family's doing some pretty good stuff for Christ. Her family's involved in the Father's business at a high level, don't you think? Here's my point, Mary was a part of some really weighty things, but I think this moment in John chapter two where Jesus turns the water into wine was different than all the other things that she witnessed. It was the one thing, okay, okay. People know, people know. Now with this said, I want you to know Mary was still a human being which means that Mary was impacted by what happened in Genesis chapter three when Adam sinned against God. Mary had been in, impacted by sin. She was infected with sin. She didn't get a free pass because she gave birth to the Messiah. She didn't get a free pass because she had some boys that were actively involved in ministry to a high level. She didn't get a free pass because of any of that. She had to have her sins forgiven too. She needed the, the, the Savior also. But certainly, it's, um, it's crummy if you discount Mary and her influence on Christianity. Jesus, Judas, <laughs> James. Now I want to give you... Um, one final thought, okay? Jesus chose the water jars for a reason, okay? Look at verse six. Standing nearby were six stone water jars, but these weren't just any water jars. 
These were used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Beloved, these six water, parts, uh, water pot, pots were used for basically one purpose. The, the Jews would use the water in them to cleanse themselves or to purify themselves. This was a, a ceremonial or religious cleansing of a person's hands and their eating uh, utensils. The religious Jews would have died if they knew what Jesus had just done to these six water pots. Because these six water pots would have been made of, of, of some different material. Okay, they would have been constructed a little bit different because they were used for holy purposes. You would wash your hands in them and somehow, you know, that was uh, a way to cleanse yourself. It was all external, but these water jars were used for a very specific uh, uh, purpose. And I believe that Jesus chose these uh, pots for a reason, and the reason was to show that he had the power to purify and cleanse and to satisfy men at a whole nother level, not just externally, but internally. You see, Jesus had a deeper concern than just meeting the social needs of the host, you know, getting them more wine. He'd come to meet man's need for spiritual cleaning and purifications. Yes, he met a, a need that this family had. They needed wine, but that's not why he came. He didn't come to make sure all your needs were met. He came to make sure your biggest need was met. And that was the cleansing of your life from sin. 1 John chapter 1 says this, if we claim that we have no sin, then we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, if we agree with him that our lives have not lived up to the scriptures, he, 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 Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, woo! And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but it's a cleansing that's um, internal, not external. We need, to be, we need to have our sins forgiven, but we also need to be cleansed because sin has made us dirty, if you will, on the inside. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, don't you realize that those who do wrong, those that sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God? They can't, why? Because they're dirty. They're filthy inside. Sin just makes us filthy. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or, or those who worship idols or, or those who commit adultery or those who are male prostitutes or those who practice homosexuality or those that are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or, or cheap people, none of these people are gonna inherit the kingdom of God. If they haven't dealt with the dirtiness and the uncleanliness of sin, they're not gonna make it into glory. How in the world could God allow just crummy, dirty, filthy human beings into heaven, which is a perfect place? He, he, he can't. He would never allow that. I have some friends, some of you in this room, if I come to your house, you make me take off my dirty, filthy shoes because you don't want them in your house. How much more does God not want filthiness in his kingdom? And if someone chooses to not deal with their sin, they're not gonna make it into, into heaven. But this scripture goes on and says, some of you were once like that. And it's not some of you. The thought is, is that you were all like that. I look at that list of things and I go, you know, I was at least five of those things. At least five. And by the way, that's not a comprehensive list of all the things that make you dirty, but it's a pretty good one. I was at least five of those things. You look at that list. Which ones are you? Which of those things have made you dirty? Which of those things have made you unclean? 
Which of those things have made you filthy? But. See that word right there? But. You were cleansed. How'd that happen? You, not only were you cleansed, but when you were cleansed, then you were made holy. I was made holy? Yeah. Not only that, once you were cleansed, once you were made holy, you were then made right with God. Man, how'd that happen? I was filthy. My sin had just goofed me up and it separated me from God. I could never make it into God's kingdom, but I was cleansed. I was made holy. I was made right with God. By How? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When I called upon the Lord at that moment, you know what happened? God cleansed me, but not on the outside. He cleansed me on the inside. And once God cleansed me on the inside, he made me holy. And once I was made holy, I was now made right with God, so now I can enter into the kingdom because I've dealt with all of the sin in my life. And let me just tell you something. When you look at that list, we have people in our church people in this room right here that were every one of those things. Every one of them. And there came a moment when they recognized the dirtiness, the sin in their life. They recognized that they weren't living according to God's word, God's will. But they were living according to their own feelings, their own flesh, or what the world was teaching, or whatever it might be. And you know what they did? They repented of their sin. Oh, they might still struggle with some of these things. But they've given their life to Christ, and they agree with Jesus and what the Word says. Every one of those things, every single one of them, are found right here in this church. And you will find... Every single one of those things found in most churches where people have repented of their sins. Look, here's the deal. Three really great things happened at this wedding, okay? Number one, the bridegroom's need was met. He ran out of wine and Jesus met his need. That was a great thing. What he needed was provided. Jesus met this man's need. And Jesus can do that for you too. He can meet your needs. Now, he may not give you all your wants. He may not do that, but he'll, he'll meet all your needs. And the reality is for most of us in this church, I'm gonna say 99.6% of you, God not only met your needs, huh? He also met a whole bunch of your wants. Our houses are all filled with things that we don't really need, but we wanted them. And God is so good that he gave us even more. Let me tell you something. I think the reason why so much wine was made, 140 to 180 gallons, they didn't need that much. <laughs> I think Jesus made enough for the celebration when it ended. The dad went, oh yeah, baby. <laughs> And God met a want. He was able to take a big thing of wine home with him. And not just any kind of wine, but the best wine. The second thing, really great thing that happened was Jesus' glory was revealed. His power to create anew was demonstrated. Let me tell you something. Jesus took water and changed it into something else. And the Bible says that when you give your life to Christ, old things pass away and all things become new. Just like the water. Just like the water in those vessels. They became something brand new. And that's what Jesus can do in your life when you give your life over to him. And the third thing was the faith of the disciples was strengthened. They believed in him. They believed in him even more. Look at verse 11. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the very first time that Jesus revealed his glory. It was the first time that Jesus let the world know, I'm no ordinary man. 
and his disciples believed in him. And this past week, as I read this little vignette here, it takes about, I don't know, two minutes to read, not even that long. Every time I read it, it encouraged me. Every time I read the word of God in this little story where Jesus does this miracle, I was encouraged because that's the God that I serve. He's a God that meets needs, and I kept thinking about that. He's a God who not only meets our needs, but he gives us over and above what we need. It reminded me that Jesus was no ordinary man, that Jesus was the Son of God. And I trust that maybe this story has done the same for you as it did for the disciples, that it has somehow encouraged you This is a, a great little moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples and in the life of Mary. Over in the venue, wanted to stand. Everybody in here stand. And I'm gonna pray for you and then we'll go and fellowship, enjoy time with family, friends, or whatever around lunch, okay? So Lord, thank you for just a really great weekend. I think of last night and how special it was and Last hour with our choir and orchestra, wow, that was just really something. I'm thankful for all of the stuff that has gone on in the venue here today. I'm grateful for, for Jackie and Zane, their leadership over there. And I'm thankful for what you did here this morning, God. Somehow, Lord, would you take this story and as we go about our week, may some of these thoughts rattle around in our minds, God. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, live for Jesus, all right?